0: We've reached possibly the most dramatic and exciting story in the Old Testament, if not the whole Bible. Um, It's the uh, climax of the first part of Exodus, uh, the the first story about the deliverance of the uh, slaves from Egypt um, comes to its climax. Uh, with the crossing of the sea, is what I'm referring to. Now, if you've seen any of the films about, that have been made about the Exodus story, uh, the classic one is the 1956 film, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston. Um, and a few years ago, I was in uh, Los Angeles and I went to the Universal Film Studios. Um, and they, you can actually see how they did this, the crossing of the Red Sea, basically, as a swimming pool, Um, with obviously full of water and uh, two sort of clear I guess plastic screens in the middle of the pool um, on rails which at some point then moved apart away from the center pushing the water away and the water then I guess dispersing down through tunnels or something that's how they did it in the 1950s you know a wonderful bit of engineering Um, But then if you've seen the more recent film Ridley Scott's Gods and Kings uh, in the early 2000s, that's obviously all done with uh, CGI, computer generated imagery. So um, our task this morning is not to kind of visualize or recreate um, the story, it is to understand a text. We have a text and so we need to try and understand that uh so the drama it's already been pretty exciting stuff has not it with the the ten signs uh and then the the exodus itself uh, as the um hebrews uh actually leave egypt pharaoh moses had gone to pharaoh and said let my people go and eventually pharaoh said all right go um but the story the drama is about to reach new levels Of tension and threat. So we're going to pick it up halfway through chapter 13. Uh, I'm just going to go through it section by section rather than read the whole thing. Um, Just thought that would be more appropriate for today. So let's pick it up. Chapter 13, uh, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea, or more likely the Sea of Reeds. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Let's just pause there. Clearly, uh, God had a plan and we see what was in his mind. Uh, Although, I don't know about you, but I didn't quite know how to take this. Uh, I think you can see it from both ways was god leading them on an easier route that is the way that would avoid having to fight the philistines um even though it says they were ready for battle perhaps they weren't really as ready as they thought they were and it's a pretty good philosophy in life if you can avoid a fight avoid it (laughs) you know um so uh, is god leading them then um in the easy way because they don't have to fight anybody or is he leading them by the more difficult way because it says that they go the longer way uh, and they end up wandering in the desert and uh, we'll see as the story unfolds that yes although God is looking out for them uh, he's actually testing them as well Um, and, and I guess that's just a reminder that although God is always looking out for us Uh, And we really believe that. And we never know what horrors he is preserving us from, what dangers. Um, God God is is always there protecting us. Nevertheless, his purpose for our lives is not the safe and easy option. We need trials and temptations. Because God's purpose for our lives is, is our holiness. He wants us to become more like Jesus. And that cannot happen through a life of ease and comfort. Hard places are places of growth or can be. Uh, and that's something that comes out a bit later on in the story. But let's go on, verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Why mention the bones of Joseph? at this point in the story well it refers back to genesis chapter 50 verse 25 where the israelites had sworn an oath that they wouldn't leave joseph's bones in egypt but that they would bring them with them and why would they do that well it's a symbolic act it shows that the longings and hopes of israel were being fulfilled because god had promised abraham and his descendants that he would bring them into a land of their own And now that promise was starting to be fulfilled. Uh, So it's just a reminder that God is faithful. He's keeping his promises. And then uh, verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So that they could travel by day or night neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So God is present with the people that he has rescued. It is the Lord himself who appears hidden in a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night. It's a sign that God is with them as their protector and their um, leader. Now I'm going to digress a little bit just as Carl did last week. and uh, sp- sort of speak into this, this uh, issue that he raised uh, because if you follow developments in the wider church you may know or have heard that there's been a thing about glory clouds at the moment uh, and I've heard one prominent Christian leader say that we're entering a time when uh, the Bible is, is no longer the focus um, because God is doing a new thing God wants to actually manifest his presence Um, amongst his people uh, just as he did in the old testament Uh, and so we should seek the presence of god himself and uh, some of the claims are that the glory cloud that appears here has reappeared in these church gatherings Um, and carl spoke about the need for discernment last week so although this isn't what the the message is about uh, i just want to make a couple of comments about it because we need to be able to think theologically and have, respond to these kind of things. Uh, two, two things. Firstly, the word of God is the presence of God. When we have got the Bible, you've got the presence of God. Because God is present in his word. Jesus, the word of God, comes clothed in scripture. And to hear God speaking, to hear God's very voice, is far superior to seeing a glory cloud or what claims to be a glory cloud the book of exodus itself teaches us that because the whole purpose of bringing these people out of slavery in Egypt is to bring them to Mount Sinai and what happens at Sinai God speaks God speaks directly to the people and when he speaks they don't ooh and ah and take pictures on their smartphones they fall down and they want to die because god is speaking now we have god's word direct word but it's mediated through uh, written word through the scriptures um, but that is, that is the presence of god that is the direct word of god to us and then uh, the second thing says that the new testament is clear as to what our gatherings should be like and and the bible is at the center Um, god's people gather around the word of god to hear to hear him speak and uh, god hasn't changed his mind about that to prefer the Old Testament shadows to the reality is putting things back to front and shows ignorance of how the Bible actually works Uh, Hebrews begins by telling us in the past God spoke in various ways but now he has spoken through his son The last word so god is already present because we have his spirit and we have the word so don't chase glory clouds or gold dust don't be taken in base your life on truth not on subjective experience and be discerning so so that was a bit of a tangent but let's get back to the main story uh, God has a plan. Chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So remember that all along, God's plan was to bring glory to himself. By making himself known to both Egypt and to Israel. And although Pharaoh has let the people go, there are still issues to be resolved. Pharaoh has not been completely defeated. The Egyptians still do not fear God. And the Israelites do not fully trust him. So this is, the, uh, this is what God is, is doing. This is his plan to bring glory to himself. And then the story then unfolds from two perspectives. Firstly, we see the view from Egypt in verses 5 to 9. And then the view from the Israelites in 10 to 12. So let's look at the view from Egypt. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi hiroth opposite Baal Zephon. The view from Egypt is that uh, the Israelites don't know what they're doing. The movements of Israel under God's direction communicated to Pharaoh. they didn't know where they were going and that created an opportunity instead of getting as far away as possible as quickly as possible god had actually got them to turn back and they appeared to be wandering aimlessly and then they were sort of hemmed in by the sea so pharaoh thinks i'm still in the game Uh, but the writer tells us this is the lord's doing in verse eight it is the lord hardening his heart just as he had done earlier on a number of occasions god hardened pharaoh's heart as i said a few weeks ago this means that pharaoh did exactly what he wanted to do god wasn't forcing him to act against his will he was merely confirming uh, what was in his heart so that's the view from egypt Uh, we're still in the game Uh, this isn't over What's the view from the Israelites, verses 10 to 12? As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians Than to die in the desert. They're caught between the Egyptian army. And the sea. There's no way out. Certain death awaits them. It's the sword. Or drowning. And so here we see. (laughs) The state of the Israelites. Uh, It's desperate. Um, But just remember. They don't really know God. They haven't been instructed. In any meaningful sense. That comes after. They get to Sinai. Um, They've seen some dramatic stuff, but their knowledge and experience of God is actually very limited at this point. And they, they reason, quite understandably, that they've probably backed the wrong horse. Moses isn't the great leader they thought he was, and this God seems to have abandoned them. And being slaves in Egypt actually looks like the better option at this point. Better to be a slave than a corpse. And then we have the key words in the whole chapter in verses 13 and 14. And I'll come back to these at the end. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. at this critical moment when there's nothing that they can do they need to rely completely on the Lord and to trust him fully so I'll come back to that so we come to the climax of the story the great deliverance that God works for Israel Uh, so I'll just read from verse 15 uh, to the end in one go because then you'll get a better feel for the the narrative Uh, I'm sorry I can't get David Suchet to come and read it to you Um, but if you've got the NIV app um, you know you can listen to it being read by a, a professional then the Lord said to Moses why are you crying out to me tell the Israelites to move on raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. the story kind of speaks for itself. I'm, I'm not going to really go through that anymore. It's told in, in five stages. God tells Moses what he's going to do and why. It's a sign to Egypt that, he, that the Lord is God. Um, it's about God getting glory. Uh, then God puts himself between the Egyptian army and the Israelites. Uh, then he sends a strong east wind and parts the sea so the Israelites can cross to safety. Uh, the Israelites, sorry, the Egyptians pursue and are thrown into confusion. And then finally the waters flow back and the Egyptians are destroyed. And each time God acts, he, he tells Moses to hold out his staff. This is so we know that this is happening at the Lord's command. It's not natural uh, phenomenon. What happens does so because God commands it. And then finally we have Israel's response. Do they, now they trust God. Or do they? Uh, We'll see. But that's the end of the story of deliverance. What happens next? They write a song about it, as you do. And uh, Jim's going to be speaking on that next week, Exodus 15. So that's the the narrative, the text. What are the key truths? Uh, Just four things I want to bring out uh, briefly. What are the key truths we need to take away? The timeless theological principles. Firstly, God once again reveals himself as the creator, the Lord of creation. Um, I don't know if you picked it up, but the language recalls the beginning of Genesis. Once again, there's a mighty wind hovering over the waters. We have the separation of water and land. Uh, And the Egyptian army is drowned in a watery chaos. Just as the Egyptians had drowned the Hebrew babies in the waters of the Nile, now the Egyptians are drowned in the waters of the sea. But it's all adding up to a picture that that God is the Lord of creation. This is the creator God using the creation to fulfill his purposes, just as he did in the earlier signs, the 10 signs. God summons the wind and the wind does his bidding. Secondly, God is revealed as the saviour of Israel. He redeems Israel from slavery itself but also from the oppressor. He doesn't just bring them out of Egypt. He has to destroy uh, the Egyptian army as well to destroy Pharaoh. And salvation isn't complete until both things have happened. Um, and they their plight was perilous. They faced certain death, but God brought life out of death. Now this this these events, the Exodus and the crossing of the sea, become a, a paradigm or a pattern uh, for how God works in salvation. Uh, and it, it's something that you can follow through the rest of the Bible. So Isaiah 43 speaks of an even bigger liberation, a new exodus uh, that, in fact, will be a new creation. Um, and God will bring about a far a greater liberation. Um, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. Uh, he goes through water, the waters. Uh, he talks about his journey to Jerusalem as his departure or his exodus. Uh, He describes his death as his coming baptism. And then this symbolism is picked up by Paul in Romans 6 when he says, uh, when you're baptized, you're passing through the waters of judgment and coming out the other side. Um, So there's lots there that can be unpacked and explored uh, another time. Uh, Picking up on this language and, and these events. But the principle, the point is salvation is entirely a work of God. God rescues Israel. They do nothing. And it's the same for us. We do nothing. All we do is trust. We believe. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross and in rising again. The Lord fights for us. All we can do is be still. So God is the Lord of creation, He's the Savior of Israel, but He's also revealed as the Judge. Israel cannot be free until Egypt's army is destroyed. There's no peace treaty. There's no uh, mutual coexistence. Because that's the nature of evil. Evil doesn't negotiate, evil has to be destroyed and the destruction of pharaoh and his army points to the final judgment it's a sign that one day God will overthrow all the enemies of uh, God and his people all evil will be defeated once and for all but that's for the return of Jesus in glory now uh, there is an opportunity for all people to repent we live in the gospel age but when jesus returns that will be the end All, all god's enemies will be overthrown and destroyed and only then can there be a new heavens and a new earth that can't happen until evil has been overthrown and and here in exodus we have a sign that god will do that and then the final thing to say of course is yes there will be a new heavens and a new earth but we're not there yet pharaoh's army is still pursuing there is hostility towards God's people maybe not so much in the west but elsewhere in the world as we know in Afghanistan in Myanmar in China across the Muslim world opposition is more subtle in the West, but, it's, but it is still real and uh, it's growing. And we need to stand firm. As Moses instructed the Israelites. And that, that's the language that Paul picks up, isn't it? In, in Ephesians 6, where he talks about the armor of God. with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God gives us armor so that we can stand our ground. And we can only do this because Because of the gospel, because of God's finished work on the cross. Satan has been defeated. He just hasn't surrendered yet. So fear not. And stand firm. And trust in what God has already done. That's the word for us today. Let's pray. father we want to thank you for the great victory that you secured over sin and evil at the cross through the death and resurrection of jesus forgive us that so often when we're in hard places we we doubt your goodness wonder if you really have got our best interests at heart often you are trying you are seeking to test us so that we might grow so lord impress on our hearts that you are always with us and you for and that you are for us and if god is for us who can be against us and thank you that we have the resources to stand firm even in in a world that is rapidly or it seems a world that is rapidly unraveling and becoming Um, more godless by the day help us not to despair help us to remember that uh, one day evil will be overthrown and there is a new world coming and in the meantime you give us the resources that enable us to stand and more than that to do your work in this world to be your witnesses to testify to your goodness and your power And all that you have done, help us to do that, we pray, in the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.